Let's pray first of all. Father God, thank you so much that we can come into your presence. Lord, thank you that you are coming. Lord, I wonder sometimes whether we really long for that day. Lord, we own that it can be so easy for us to get caught up with life. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a deep and fervent hope for your day. And that out of that, our lives would be all the rich in this Lord, I pray that you would be encouraged this morning by the words that you gave to the Thessalonians and to us. I pray that we would find joy in the promises of your word. I pray that our love and our faith and our hope would be strengthened this morning. Holy Spirit, I dare to ask that you would speak even through me. Amen. Interesting passage this, isn't it? It's it's kind of this problem that the Thessalonians have. Let me get rid of this. This problem that the Thessalonians have when they when they're writing to Paul, actually they've got several problems. Remember they're in a city where everybody is against them. Uh, the whole population that they ran Paul out of town. Here are these Christians, they feel really under the pump. Uh, and and then to make matters worse, it's only been about four months, but already a few of them have died. Oh, I'm sorry, Felicity. Making you cry. Already some of these new Christians have died. And, and we today maybe sit back and say, yeah, of course, Christians die. But what we've got to understand is that for the Thessalonians, they come out of a culture where there is no developed concept of life after death. According to the society that they came out of, when you died, you died and you were dead. And although Paul had written to them, well not written to them, although he'd spoken to them with the gospel and said there is life beyond the grave and and Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead, still they've got this whole mindset upon themselves as as they look upon death and they see, well, if somebody has died, how on earth are they going to be with the Lord when He returns? Because as far as, as they knew and as far as we know, the Lord could come at any minute and they took that They took that promise seriously and they lived as if Jesus was coming in their own lifetime and in their own day. And so they've got, first of all, a problem. What is going to happen to those who have died before Jesus came? And actually, if we think about it, what happens to those who have died in the last 2,000 years before Jesus came? How are they going to be resurrected when they're piles of ashes? And then they've got another problem from chapter 5 onwards. Their problem is, well, 
okay, Paul, you've given us an answer there, but, but let's be honest, surely, what did that mean? When Jesus comes, will I be ready? Will I be able to stand before his throne? <laughs> let's look at these two issues one by one. So the first issue that they've got is, is what about those who die too soon? What does Paul say to them over here? He says to them, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Why? So that you will not grieve like those who have no hope. I've done a few funerals as a pastor, you know, those for non-Christians. I mean, we've all been, I presume, in funerals of Christians and non-Christians. And can't you just sense the difference in a non-Christian funeral? I mean, there is grief in both. There are tears in both. There we go. Christian Christian. Yeah. And touch so many lives, but the big difference is four is that we have hope. It's a celebration, but it's a celebration because we have hope. You go to a non Christian funeral and they can celebrate the life of a person, in fact, that's what they do, but then it's he was such a wonderful person. And now he's gone. Paul says to the Thessalonians, yes, some Christians have died. And yes, you are sad. And you are, you just, it's a horrible thing. And yes, you are going to grieve. But the grief for Christians is different for non-Christians because we have hope. It's not a grief of despair. One of the contemporaries close to Paul's time wrote, let me read for you, Hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. As in to say, hope is only good while you can hope it. And into this comes the gospel and says, well, death is not actually the end. Death doesn't terminate existence. Death pauses existence. And you see what Paul says? He says, actually, the truth of the matter is that when Jesus returns, those who have died already, it's not like they are suddenly second-class citizens who arrive late to the party, and those who are alive get to see Jesus first. If anything, those who are dead are raised first, and we join them. Don't take that as incentive to die. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's not going to be long. Paul's main point is that we will together be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord. Death, ultimately, is a non-event. 
as far as the return of Christ is concerned. And Paul says, we know this for sure. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. And when he comes, and it's that beautiful imagery, with the trumpet sound, with the voice of the archangel, with a, a commanding shout. I don't think it's three or four different things. I think it's just... How do you describe color to a blind man? I mean, how do you describe red to somebody who's never seen? It's... How do you describe the return of the Lord to us? Paul's using marvelous figures of speech and symbols. And... But it's real. And Jesus is returning. And he says there in verse 16, 17, the dead will be raised and we who are still alive will be snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I'm not doing a sermon about the rapture. There's a whole bunch of different viewpoints and I'm sure people here that disagree about all those whether there's a millennium, how long it lasts, all that stuff. But as we look at what Paul says here, he's he's painting us a brief picture. He says, when Jesus returns, we will meet him in the end. And the word he uses for meet is, is actually a word taken from from the Greek of the day, when a, a high and mighty visitor was coming to, to a city, the leading citizens of that city would go out to meet this king, this dignitary, and escort him the last way in. So what do we see here? We see Christ returning. Don't ask me how long each of these things happen. We meet him in the air, and then we are with him forever. As he makes all things new. New heaven and a new earth in God dwelling with his people. And you know, if he just think about that for a moment. Who are the leading citizens who go and meet Jesus when he returns? His children. Dead or alive, who cares? They, they're alive now. Alive forever. Don't get a big head on ourselves, but we are the leading citizens of earth. Because we know the King. So you see what Paul has, has done for these guys here. He's, he's basically turned it around and said, you're worried about those who've died. Really don't worry, because Jesus is coming back, and all those who belong to him will return with him and be with him forever. And I dare anyone to suggest that Paul didn't have a smile on his face as he wrote these words. But you know, he's not just saying. Well, you really know, you know, if, 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 if you've got these questions, you should have the right answers. He doesn't go into details, isn't he irritating? He doesn't go into details about exactly what and where and when. Maybe I think because he says in chapter 5 that we can't say where or when. A little bit of what we know. Because Jesus told us. 
Now says Paul, the reason I want to tell you these things is so that it's verse 18 so that you can encourage and comfort one another. You see, the fact that Jesus is coming, the fact that that we are going to be with Him, that we are going to meet Him, that He's going to call us to Himself, that we are going to live with Him forever. This fact is what we are to use as the basis of our encouragement of one another. Encouragement when we see a loved one in Christ's time. To say, yes, it's horrible, but we shall see them again. But you know, this encouragement goes even further. The fact that we will meet the Lord when He returns is to be the encouraging motive for all that we do and all that we say. Brother, sister, life's tough for you. You are a leading citizen of earth. Jesus is coming. Sometimes we can forget that Jesus is coming. I don't know how we manage it. I don't know how we manage it. And yet sometimes in the day to day of life we can forget. Or am I the only one? No. <laughs> And so we need to encourage one another. Jesus is coming back. When? <laughs> when? And what are you reading? You see, those, those two questions are tied together. Because if I know when, then I can be a naughty as I want to be until just before. And Paul's quite blunt. He says, Shut up. You're asking when and what time and all this stuff. I don't know. In fact, you know better than to ask because I told you we don't know. Probably said to them, This is what Jesus says as he stood on the Mount of Olives. And, and, and explained about the coming of, of his return and, and how nobody knew that hour except the Father. Says Paul, there's, there's really only two things we know about the timing of when Jesus will return. One, that it's going to be sudden, and two, that it's going to be sudden. One, that it's going to be sudden like a burglar at night. You don't, you don't put on your calendar burglary tonight. <laughs> it just happens. And you're surprised by it. It's unexpected. It's sudden and unexpected. But says Paul, it's also sudden and expected. Like labor pains for a woman giving birth. I've never given birth, surprise, surprise, but <laughs> sudden, and yet you know it's going to happen. 
He ran away. It's sudden and unexpected, sudden and expected. Verse 3 says, People will be saying peace and spirit to one another. And the Lord will come. Now there are some people who say, Oh, look at the world. There's more earthquakes happening. And oh, there's another tsunami. Oh, and look at all the wars. So many more wars happening now. And the world is so bad, Jesus must be coming soon. Well, maybe. Well, what does Paul say? He says, people will be sitting around going, Wow, that's good. We're happy. There's not an earthquake happening at my place at the moment. There's no one attacking my house. Life's fantastic. Remember, Noah and the people eating and drinking and having a generally good time. Says Paul. It'll be so unexpected. It'll be wrong for us to even try and put a timetable on, I think, to say, well, it's getting worse, so Jesus must be coming soon. It's already bad. Jesus is coming soon. When we least expect it. When it seems most unlikely. You see, really the, the thing that we have to remember is that Jesus is coming. It's not so much about the when. I mean, let's be honest. Are our non-Christian friends wanting to know the timetable for when Jesus is arriving? They don't believe. What is then the difference that Jesus is coming to make in our lives today? You see what Paul says? He says, it's not about the when. Even the lack of details he gives us is not even so much about the how. It's about the how it changes our lives today. You see what he says there? He uses like five or six different pictures in in this small passage there. But he says, look, the point is, we are to be different from those in the world. They don't know that Jesus is coming back. You're right, they don't want to know. They don't believe. And so they, they live as if he's not. And Paul's got this brilliant image of, of, of a dark house, for example. Dark world. And, and what do you do when you're dark? Well, you drink yourself silly and then you sleep yourself until you wake up and you drink yourself silly and you sleep yourself. You gotta sleep at night. Because it's not. It's dark. This world is, is a dark place. It's full of sin, ungodliness, 
a lack of lights. We've been singing this morning how he is the light of the world. And yet the world we live in seems to be so dark. But, says Paul, we are not like them. We are people of the day. And so we need to be alert and awake and self-controlled and distant. The people of the day, although it seems to be the nights. Andy writes up this brilliant analogy that he says, Christians are like people who've got spiritual jet lag. Can I explain that to you? (laughs) Our senses show us that we live in a dark world. In a world that is under the power of the king of this age. But at the same time, we have the spirit of God in us that says, the dawn has come. The bright morning star has risen. The daytime is here. In the morning star, proof that the sun is about to come up. Jesus has been resurrected. Death has been undone. 1 John 2.8 The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And so the challenge for us as those who live in the expectation of the sun coming up But you know what, if the sun's already up in our lives and in our hearts, and it's already sort of, you know, that, that pre-dawn moment where it's, it's, you know the sun's just about to peak over the horizon. You're awake! You don't go to sleep! We need to be living lives as Christians with our clothes on, not our pajamas. That is the hope which changes how we live our lives. You see what Paul has done there? He said, the way we live our lives compared to the way the world lives lives their lives, what is the one defining factor that changes how we act here and now today? It is the fact that Jesus is about to arrive. Remember last week, Paul's big model for for living life is pleasing God. And when he comes, will he find any who are ready for his arrival? Ask Jesus. And so we put on faith and love and hope. Hope that we have been saved. Hope that says we are saved. Hope that says we will be with Him forever. Because He died for us. Says Paul. You see there's two points in his argument here. 
He says we hope in that day which is coming, which is already shining in our lives, we are people of the daylight, even though it seems that it is night. The hope of the future, which rests on the completed work of Christ. Died for us. That we might live for people. God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. <coughs> Will we be ready? You know what, it's not, it's not a good question to ask. The question to ask is, are we people of the day or people of the night? Because, you know, God has chosen us, not to pour out his wrath on us. God is faithful. Remember back in chapter 4, towards the end, on the day when the Lord comes and this, with a loud commanding shout and voice of a trumpet and the people on the earth said, oh I don't know whether I'll go or not. <laughs> I suspect we'll go. (laughs) Oh, I long that we would long the day of the Lord. You know, twice in just these verses that we've looked at, twice. Paul says we will be with him forever. And at the end of each of these solutions, Paul says the same thing. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another when there is grief. Encourage one another whenever. Now we're going to finish with something weird this morning. Well, not quite finished. We've, we've got, another, got another song to sing. Which is a new song. And if you don't know it, just listen to the words because they are amazing. <coughs> but rather than me giving a, a benediction and a blessing over us, can I, can I be really awkward and say, why don't you turn to the person next to you and, and just remind them that Jesus is coming. Encourage them with those words. So. <laughs> If it's not real, it's get old. Thank you. Really does.
And those wonderful words of Paul, for me to die is Christ, but to live is gain. Why? Because I can encourage the church.